And it reminds me of that hymn, Such Love. I haven't got that with me today, but possibly in the future I might have the privilege of singing it. This one has been on my mind for years. But uh, by God's grace, maybe I can sing it for you now. Jesus, my eyes are unto thee, for thou art all I long to see. Since thou hast suffered on the tree, that I might live. Jesus, my heart is fixed on thee, waiting for all thou hast for me. Seeking a closer walk with thee, thy path to see. Jesus, my soul still pants for thee, for thou art all in all to me. And when thy blessed face I see, at rest I'll be. Jesus, for thy great love I yearn, even for those God's ways who spurn, that through thy love from death they'll turn to thee and live. Oh, that my steps may quicken be to follow him who still loves me and bids me through eternity with him to dwell. Jesus, of him shall be my song, who loved me patiently and long. My life, my all, henceforth belong to Writing from jail, he's written to the Philippians, he's, he said good day, and he, he, he said quite a bit more than good day when he said good day. He's written and said thanks to them, he's encouraged them, and, and he said to us, guys, what I want you to do, I want you to grow in the knowledge and wisdom. I, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God, your wisdom of God. Uh, and we said that, that this is something that we all need to do. We need to know that God loves us more and more and more. Uh, and Paul has said to them, hey, relax. God is the one who started the work in you. God's the one who's going to finish it. But I want you to grow in understanding how good God is. Um, because we don't want to get uh, to be with Jesus as those through fire. We want to get with Jesus as those who are just, wow, this is incredible. And Paul, uh, remember, is writing from jail. We're not 100% sure of where he is in jail. Uh, it might be uh, Ephesus. It might be Rome. Uh, I, I think it's probably in Rome, but I, I can't be dogmatic about that. Uh, Paul is, is there, chained, and there's a real possibility that he is going to be executed. And he says this. He's writing a letter back. He said, G'day. He said, I love you guys. He said, I want you to grow in the knowledge. Now, you want to know how I'm going. 
I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and they boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, they pre- the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. And the word deliverance there is, is a translation of the word salvation. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I've been in the past. And, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means uh, living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I, do, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. The Philippian church would have been very worried about Paul sitting in jail. Remember, they were his strong supporters. They, they sent Epaphroditus to visit him. They, they were concerned about him. They were worried about him. They were partners in him of telling the news about Jesus to the world. Now, surely, if your job is to go out and speak to people, being put in jail is going to put a stop to that. Normally at this point in the letter, one would write and say, I'm doing well, yes, I'm in jail, the jailers are treating me well, no, I'm not getting fed, please send money. That sort of thing. Except Paul, Paul's focus is not on himself. Just a little bit, yes, yeah, yeah, everything that's happened to me and some people are trying to make it worse. But for Paul, the focus is on the good news that is still spreading. It's advancing, it's progressing. The same word that he uses at the end where he wants their faith to progress, their faith to advance. Paul says, everyone here, including the palace guards, know that I'm in chains for Jesus, and most of the believers are more and more bold in preaching the good news that Jesus is God, that he is Lord. And I think Paul looks at his suffering there and he sees this, this is actually nothing unexpected. God often uses suffering to advance his cause. Uh, The greatest suffering ever was Jesus on the cross. And God took that evil and used it to save us. And Paul knows, he says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 18 and 19, that his message, our work is a work of reconciliation. It's the same ministry that God started and God did through Jesus. Paul is is doing the work of Jesus, and it's not surprising that if Jesus suffered, so would Paul. But Paul's not worried about his suffering. He's celebrating what God is doing. 
because his imprisonment was something of a catalyst for the uh, other Christians to speak up. Does anyone know what a catalyst is? It's one of those, it's it's a thing that goes like that in your hot water system, says Val. Uh, it makes things happen, says Graham. It, you get one in your car as well. It basically helps chemical reactions happen. Um, if you don't have a catalyst, things might work, but they'll take a long time. And so Paul's looking at this, and his imprisonment has made something happen because people are preaching and telling others about Jesus. Some of them are doing it out of pure motives. They, they love Paul. They, they back his God-given task of telling others about Jesus. Others of the Christians are preaching out of envy and jealousy. And let it just be said that no pastor has ever preached out of wrong motives. If you look carefully, the halo's somewhere over there. <laughs> These Christians are preaching out of envy and jealousy. Maybe they they think that that Paul is a threat to their prestige and power. We don't need you, Paul. I have a church of 10,000, Paul, and you're in jail. Who's the better apostle now? We're just as good as Paul. We don't need him. God can use me too. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 2, we have an incident. Uh, This is the story of the the people of Israel. They've they've been in slavery in Egypt, and they're being taken out of slavery. God has rescued them through his servant Moses, who who God met at a burning bush that wasn't burning. And and God said, Moses, I'm going to use you. And he's led them out, and they're going across from Egypt to a land that God was giving them, the promised land. And on the way, um, Miriam and Aaron. Aaron was the high priest, Uh, Miriam was was the sister, and they come along to Moses and they say, Moses, mate. By the way, Moses had married someone that you probably shouldn't have at this point, and and they say, Moses, let me read you exactly what they say. Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, while they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. And now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. And the God calls them together and he says, hey, I've spoken to Moses. I speak face to face to Moses. Moses is the one that I've chosen. Was it true that that God would never speak to anyone except Moses? Of course not. But this attitude that they brought to Moses was one of, you know better than us. If God only knew what he was missing out on, you know, the same attitude happens today. Uh, I'm growing my church, I don't need you. Or our church is big, we don't need that little one over there. Or, or that church is rubbish, but look at our church over here. The irony, of course, for Paul is that these people, these Christians, and they were Christians despite their mixed motives, 
These Christians, these believers were doing exactly what Paul wanted them to do. They thought they were making his life more miserable. Paul's going, boy, this is fantastic. They are doing what I want. Their motives sucked. But Paul, Paul just cared about people being saved. Both groups are believers. Uh, Paul doesn't say anything about them preaching a false gospel. He doesn't say that they're teaching people to not take Jesus. It, it's just that some of them, I think, are driven by wanting to be first in the church, uh, which is a sin that none of us fall into much. Even the 12 disciples following Jesus, walking along one day, and, and they're muttering to each other about, well, which one of us is going to be the biggest? Who's going to get the top-notch seat in heaven next to Jesus? And two of them send their mother to go to Jesus to say, can my sons please have the places of honor at your right and your left? Ooh. That's a, it's a struggle to be first is one that goes right back, doesn't it? Maybe this is what was happening with these teachers here in, in the place where Paul was in jail. Was their motive right? No. But God works through the imperfect to do his will. You know what, if we were to wait for our motives to be perfect before we did anything, things would move very slowly. But God can use the imperfect. Just as God was using the evil of Paul's being in jail to do his work. And these were Christians. God can use non-Christians. While the Israel was in, uh, in exile, God used kings like Cyrus. God can use the oppression in China to see the church grow into one of the big churches across the world. God can use the oppression of Russia to see eventually communism crumble and churches come out of the woodwork where everyone thought that they had gone. Does that mean that we should be searching for imprisonment and oppression? By no means. Just recently, Russia passed a law, I don't know if it went through the upper house, that said that if you want to uh, preach the gospel, you have to have a license and you have to do it in a, uh, a registered place. In other words, no preaching on the streets, but also your house is not a registered place, and so if you want to preach to your children or teach them about Jesus, that would be illegal. I have a feeling that the church is probably going to start growing in Russia. Sometimes God uses horrible things as catalysts. But let's not seek them. Because God can use even good times. You know, if it was me in jail for speaking for Jesus, and there's the whole question in the message on the message, uh, would it be me in jail? Would it be you in jail? I might write you a letter and say, well, now I want you to know that it has been tough. The guard on my right really has serious BO issues, and the guy on the left keeps swearing at me. And, and it's difficult because they don't feed us, and you guys didn't send enough last time. There might be a little bit of complaint in my voice. I don't know about you. In those days, you didn't get fed in jail. Your friends had to feed you. I might be saying, 
God, I've done so much for you. And now this, you owe me, God. Paul doesn't say you owe me, God. He says, wow, God, this is such good news. I'm in jail, yes, but, but what you want from me is happening even because I'm in jail. Paul rejoices because he knows Jesus, and Jesus is the most important thing for him, more important than his comfort. Did Paul ever go through moments where he went, ah, I'm sure he did. Probably did it a bit more gracefully and in Greek. But he looks and says, Jesus is the most important thing in my life. You see, we look to find joy from our heart's desires coming true. I think we all do this. We have to ask ourselves, what is my heart set on? Is it not true that often we set our hearts on comfort, on success, on the things of this world? Is it not true that often we set our hearts on the good life, on getting what we want? Paul, on the other hand, found his joy in the plans and purposes of God. He found his joy in the person of Jesus because he saw that no matter what happened, God was working. Circumstances are bound to get bad. We live in a broken world. We are broken people. But, but Paul's joy was anchored in the person of Jesus. Paul was able to write to the Romans, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Circumstances are bound to get bad, and when the storms of life come, faulty foundations, and when we look for our joy in the wrong places, it will disappoint us. Everyone has dark nights of the soul that push us and say, hey, is this worth it? Ah, is it worth following God and doubts creep in and, and, and especially so when circumstances are bleak and people are critical. What we need is to grow in our knowledge of who God is about what he has done. What we need is to know God, to know that he loves us, to know as Paul said to the Philippians in, in chapter 1 verse 6 that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. You see, God doesn't just work in spite of bad circumstances. He also works through them. And often we only realize that in hindsight. And, and counseling tip 101, if somebody is going through a bad circumstance, do not quote Romans 8.28 to them. If they quote it to you, that's one thing. Romans 8.28, I'm convinced that all things God works together for the good of those who love him. If someone has just lost someone precious to them, you don't go and say to them, it's good, because it's not good, but God can work it for good. Paul's being in prison wasn't good, but God was working it for good. You see, it's useful to hear such stories about terrible circumstances and God turning them to good. Because when we face terrible circumstances, when we face maybe something as real as being in jail, maybe it's just... a a valley of life, when we face that, we can look at it and go, you know what, there is so much 
evidence and stories and experience of others and myself where God has worked even this for good. It's one of the reasons we get together as a church so that we can share the highs and the lows and how God has been working. You see, if we really trust that God is in control, our perspectives will start to show that. And we can start to trust Him to do His will despite our circumstances. Paul rejoices in what God is doing. And he decides to keep on rejoicing in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, um, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Why? Because I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps, helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I hope fully and expect, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. Paul was not ashamed to write to people, his churches, and say, please pray for me. Paul would write to them and he'd say to them, like he wrote to the Romans and says, pray that I be kept safe. He he wrote that to the Thessalonians and Philemon and the Corinthians, being kept safe was something Paul wanted. Uh, He wrote to to the Romans again and Thessalonians that, that his work as an apostle would go ahead unhindered. He wrote to the Colossians that that he'd proclaim the gospel clearly. He wrote to the Ephesians that he'd be fearless in telling people about Jesus. But in chapter 1 verse 19 of Philippians, Paul writes to them and says, Guys, I want you to pray so that I will be delivered, so that I will not be ashamed. I want you to pray so that I will be bold. And that word deliverance is actually the same word as salvation. In the Greek, Paul's writing and saying, please pray for my salvation. Does he want to be saved from his current situation? I'm sure he does, but, but he also wants to be bold and unashamed. And, and I think maybe what Paul is writing to the Philippians, because they love him so much and because he trusts them so much and knows that they are for him, he says, he says to them, I want you, I think, to pray to God so that God will equip me with his spirit, so that I will persevere. You know, Paul's writing about, I'm rejoicing, I will continue to rejoice, please pray for me. He's not a blase, I will continue to rejoice because I'm so strong in the Lord. No, he says, I will continue to rejoice, but pray. Pray that I will be saved, that I will persevere in the faith. Yes, only God saves. He who started a good work will finish it. But, but God hears us when we pray for each other to persevere in the faith. And God answers. God supplies His Spirit. We need the prayers of our brothers and our sisters for our own spiritual well-being. Paul said in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Jesus Christ's return. Paul says, pray. Pray that for me, that I may be bold, that I may not be ashamed. You see, there's a link between, between asking them to pray and God supplying the Spirit of Jesus. It's not that the Spirit of Jesus comes and goes. Romans 8, 9, which is a, a wonderful, difficult passage, which is also wonderful, says if you've got the Spirit, you're a Christian. Or vice versa, if you're a Christian, you've got the Spirit. 
If you have ever said to Jesus, Jesus, I trust you, God started a good work in you, he's going to finish it in you, and he's given you his spirit. But sometimes, if we read through the Bible, the spirit especially moves and strengthens someone. Uh, When Peter, in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, was standing before the Jewish high council, the Sanhedrin, uh, we're told that he was filled with the spirit when he testified. Stephen, the very first martyr, the the guy who was killed while the author of this letter stood by and held the cloaks of his murderers. We're told in Acts chapter 7 that prior to his being martyred and killed, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And there's other incidences as well where we read about this. They were Christians, they had the Holy Spirit, but at these special times... God's Spirit seemed to be more vital to them. They, 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 it, it, it was just there, at the surface. Jesus himself said that in Luke chapter 12, that, that when Christians would be taken before authorities to be judged and tried, the Holy Spirit would, would, would tell us what to say. We wouldn't have to worry about what to say. And I think he's talking about that same sort of thing that we've, we've just seen in those examples. And I think he's talking about what Paul is experiencing. And Paul is in this incredible time of trial, and he says, I need God's help to be bold. I need God's help to not be ashamed. He says, pray that God would supply what I need. Pray that God would supply what I need so that I will persevere. We could get into some antics and go, well, would God supply it even if they didn't pray? That's not the point. We need to pray for each other. Paul knew how important it was to to come into things with the right attitude, to to be self-disciplined, Uh, He said in 1 Corinthians 9, I beat my body, I make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. But Paul knows that it's not just his own strong will that's going to keep him strong. He says, I need your prayers. There's another incident uh, on the journey from the land of slavery, Egypt, of the people of Israel to the promised land. They were fighting a mighty battle. Moses went up onto the hilltop, and as he lifted his hands, the people of Israel were winning the battle. And the battle went on and on and on and on, and his hands got tighter and tighter and tighter. And up there with him were two people, Aaron, the priest, and Hur. And as he got tighter, they were there, and they were holding his hands up. And the battle was won. Not because his hands are magic hands. It was a sign of going, God is with you. Paul needed their prayers just like Moses needed Aaron and her. We should be praying for God to spiritually sustain each other. Just look around you. These are the people we should be praying for. Pray for me. Pray that God would so fill them with his spirit that they stand firm. Paul's in jail. There's a very real possibility that he is about to be killed. 
The question is, would he choose to die or would he choose to live? Of course, he doesn't have a choice. That choice is up to God ultimately. But, but Paul's thinking about this and he says, well, to me, living means Christ. Every part of Paul's life was lived for Jesus' glory. Uh, he says in Philippians chapter 3, he's come to realize that everything else is, is like garbage compared to knowing Jesus. The other option for Paul is death, which, which again he sees as gain because he'll be with Jesus. It's not that he's got a death wish, it's just that he loves Jesus so much that he wants to be with him, and he's with him here on earth serving him, but wow, to see him face to face, and Paul says, wow, that, that's going to be better. And for Paul, being with Jesus is obviously the better option, but he says instead, I'm going to choose to live because I want you to progress in the faith. Paul puts them ahead of himself, which is again one of the big themes in the letter that we're going to come across. You know, as I was preparing for this the other day, I was, I was just saying that saying, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it came out the other way around. For to me to die is Christ and to live is gain. And isn't that much nicer? Isn't that what we know? Isn't that... One of the commentaries I read said, it's a rare believer who can read this passage, grapple with it seriously, and come away satisfied that he or she is following Paul's example. So often we think that the best is to be had in this world, that Jesus is the safety net, that to live is to gain, and that when we die, Jesus is there to pick up the pieces. Often we live for pleasure or family or reading or eating or knitting or work or whatever. Paul says, no, I've discovered that it's the other way around. Everything is under the lordship of Jesus. Life here is one of serving him, living for him, choosing to follow him in every little moment, in every thought, in every word, in every deed, saying, I, I choose to follow Jesus. And Paul says, I've come to realize that, that when I die, it's actually better because I will be with Jesus. This life is a shadow and an imitation. Paul says in Philippians 3, it's rubbish. It's not rubbish. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. But Paul says, it's like dung. Well, it's my version. It's dung compared to knowing Jesus. The writer, to the, uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes came to, to realize the same thing. Uh, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless in this world. So often our thoughts are engrossed with the things of earth. And to die is not gain if our focus is on this earth. But maybe our focus can change. Maybe our focus can change if we come to understand that God is worth more than this if we grow in knowledge and understanding if we progress in the faith you see what Paul writes he says I've come to realize that for me to die is gain but I'm going to stay around I'm convinced of this because I want you guys to grow in the faith I think Paul wanted the Philippians to come to the point where they themselves could be in jail about to be killed and say this is not going to be to my detriment. And he writes this for us as well. 
If we don't progress in the faith, we regress. You can't stand still. And regression produces depression and lack of assurance and lack of joy. But progress means happiness. It means coming to realize that no matter what happens, God is God and God's plans will be true. If we live for comfort and security or for anything in this world, it will come crumbling down. But if we live for Jesus, well, he's already won. I don't know where you stand. I don't know if right now, if I took a cattle prod out and threw you into jail, you'd go, well, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We might not all be Paul. In fact, I suspect that few of us are Paul. But we can all encourage each other along the path. We can pray for each other. We can seek to see each other grow in knowledge and understanding of Jesus. And progress might not be easy. Life has ups and life has downs, but that's why we need to pray for each other, that God would supply what we need, that Jesus will ultimately grow to be the most important thing in our lives. Because let's be honest. Is Jesus the most important thing in your life? I'm willing to bet for most of us he's up there but is he the most important thing I'm not trying to guilt anyone I'm in the same boat as all of you but Paul says I'm going to stay I want you guys to progress in the faith. I want you to come to know how wide, how high, how deep the love of God is in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that he is worth more than everything else. I want you to be able to take an inventory of your life and go, brilliant, 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 ecstatic when you come to Jesus. God, please, Help us all to persevere. Supply what we need to know that you are everything. Give us eyes to see that although you have made a fantastic earth, it is just nothing compared to you. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you. Help us to grow in our discernment of what is best. Jesus, by your Spirit, Come and invade us and show us that you are worth more than everything else. Amen. We're going to sing a song, uh, seeing as our time is well and truly up. We're going to sing, Christ is enough for me.